Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Give a monkey a typewriter in infinite time and he could put Shakespeare to shame. But he would waste a universe of paper getting there because his keystrokes would be random. Today we're talking with Dennis Noble about biological stochasticity. That's a scientist word for randomness. Dennis is a physiologist from Oxford University, and he was especially influential in figuring out how the heart's pacemaker works. He recently wrote a book called Dance to the Tune of Life, in which he challenges biologists to rethink randomness. In the past, randomness got a bad rap because most mutations make monsters. Most of what our typing monkey puts out will be gibberish. Variation is critical to evolution, though. Without it, there's nothing for natural selection to use to sort individuals. In Dennis's new book, he argues that organisms often harness stochasticity, using it to defend themselves from pathogens and maybe even exercise free will. This is Marty Martin. And Art Woods. You're listening to Big Biology. Given how big our genome is, our DNA does a fairly good job of copying itself, but it's a tough job. And every once in a while, mistakes are made. Those mistakes are called mutations. Usually they're bad, just like most of the stuff our monkey types won't be the kind of thing we'd want to read. Sometimes, though, a mutation will help us. It's those mutations that get passed on to our kids. And that, in a nutshell, is evolution. Until fairly recently, evolutionary biologists thought that most, if not all, mutations popped up randomly across the genome. Dennis says that while this is generally true, what's left out is that our cells fix most of these mutations. Mutation is random, but that randomness is cleaned up across most of the genome before it affects evolution. Here's what Dennis had to say when we talked to him over Skype. The copying of the DNA is itself an error-creating process. Every 10,000 or so base pairs, remember there are 3 billion in the whole genome, but every 10,000 or so, normally you get a copying error. So the DNA itself doesn't actually reproduce very accurately. If you had those millions of errors in a genome, you wouldn't survive. Now what I come to is this. What happens? The rest of the cell, you can guess what I'm going to say, comes in and it corrects those errors. So much so that usually the copying of DNA from one cell to a daughter cell and down through the generations creates only about one error or even less in a whole genome. So the correction mechanism is superb. Okay, so cells edit out most stochasticity. A lot of it creeps in, but little of it sticks around to affect who lives and who reproduces. Not so many monsters as we might expect, and that makes sense because most monsters wouldn't be healthy enough to make baby monsters. This point alone is a fairly new way of thinking about randomness in evolution, but Dennis goes farther. What he wants to emphasize is that organisms often harness stochasticity to do good. 
Usually our bodies work hard to get rid of random mutations in our DNA, but in some parts of the genome, it actually allows mutations to happen. A great example is our immune system. Our bodies produce cells that fight pathogens, such as bacteria and viruses, and some of these cells produce antibodies. One part of the antibody, the part that tells the rest of the immune system what to do, is kept free of mutations. But the other part is a kind of key that allows it to bind with parts of the pathogen. The antibody needs just the right key to kill those pathogens. That bit hypermutates. Hyper means going very rapidly. Now, it doesn't do so just tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. It does it 100,000 to a millionfold. So what it's doing, it's spinning and using stochasticity there. Now, what that does is the different cells that spin um, will produce many, many, many different cells with different immunoglobulins. In effect, our bodies are allowing mutations to accumulate in the part of the genome we need to find the right key. The genome cycles through new variants until it finds one that works. We select the one that recognizes the pathogen, produce tons of them for the fight, and let the bad keys die. The system harnesses stochasticity. So it uses stochasticity in a beautiful feedback mechanism. If that was in a rocket, you'd call it a guided rocket, wouldn't you? It's not a rocket that's just simply fired and goes anywhere, and you can't, as it were, move it this way or that way. It's clearly guided. Where does the guidance come from? It comes within the system itself. In a sort of sense, it knows what it's doing. If the immune system were the only system in which stochasticity was harnessed, the whole idea of stochasticity might be just a footnote in biology. But according to Dennis, there might be an argument that randomness in our brains could affect the choices we make. Throughout history, a lot of smart people have thought that if we could map out the position and velocity of every particle in the universe, we could predict the future. For example, I decided to have cereal for breakfast this morning because the molecules in my brain were arranged in such a way that I could only choose to eat cereal. That idea essentially kills free will. It enslaves us to the laws of physics. But if there's randomness in our brains, it becomes impossible to predict which choices we'll make in the future. Randomness, in a way, emancipates us from the laws of physics. So it's fair to ask, does stochasticity give us free will? That's a huge question. <laughs> I will do my best with it. First of all, it's difficult even to define what we mean by free will. Our actions are already constrained by our circumstances in life and by other people. Some have argued that these constraints mean we don't really have free will. But in general, most of us feel like we're in control of our own actions, at least most of the time. What we're really asking is a more practical question. Does stochasticity play a role in our behavior? It's a very deep philosophical question, that. And there are philosophers who think you can marry the concept of free action, even with determinism. There are very good examples of that in uh, Western philosophy. I, they may or may not be right. I don't know, don't know how to judge that. But what I do think is this. If you've got stochasticity, you've got a vastly better opportunity for, how best to put this now, trying out different ways just as the immune system is, as it were, selecting from that vast panoply of different cells that are produced by the hypermutation process and selecting out just the ones that work, we can do the same.
What Dennis is saying is that stochasticity in the brain might work like stochasticity in the immune system. Random variation at the molecular level in our neurons is harnessed to produce a variety of behaviors which might help us or any animal come up with a new way to solve a problem. It's not totally clear that this is free will, but still it hints that organisms could be harnessing stochasticity to solve complex problems. Who knows yet whether free will is another form of harnessed stochasticity? And before biologists even tackle that question, they probably first have to resolve even what is free will. Could species other than humans have free will? Do cockroaches have free will? We'll tackle those questions in a future episode. Dennis made some good points that randomness might warrant a rethink in biology. And if you want to hear more from him, check out our full conversation on the Big Biology website. There, we also talk about scientists' reverence for DNA, why DNA probably has less power than we often attribute to it, and whether we're in a golden age of biology now. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us for the next episode of Big Biology. Special thanks to Matt Blois for editing and production help. Thanks also to Gerard Sepes, Roman Boisseau, Devin O'Brien, Steve Lane, Victoria Doloff, Haley Hansen, Holly Kilvitis, Travis Flock, Meredith Kernbach, Chloe Ramsey, Jeff Olberding, Lars Shonley, Cynthia Downs, and Suzanne Miller.